Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Beata Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Today we are in for a treat on the Outer Sanctum podcast fifth quarter with AFL Indigenous Games record holder and four-time premiership player who we like to call Silk for obvious reasons. I'm Shelley Ware and I'm joined by the delightful Kate Sear and the legend himself, Sean Burgoyne. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and he's ready to go and he's here to talk football, family and respect. He sounds like a pretty good title for a book, Sean. Welcome. No, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I didn't pick the title, but I'm very happy with it. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Well, I think it suits you perfectly. It's nice. Uh, hopefully it's selling and people enjoy it. We can't wait to pick your brain about the book, Sean. Well, you had quite the career, of course. As Shelley mentioned, you played 157 games with Port Adelaide and had a premiership with Port back in 2004. And then you played 250 games with Hawthorne, which I have to confess is my team, and a three-peat premiership with the Hawks from 2013 to 2015. You kicked 302 career goals and you are the first Indigenous player to play 400 games. We could go on and on about your achievements, Sean, but before we get too deep into it, I have to tell you that Emma Race from our podcast wants to know, what was the first thing you ate when you retired? (laughs) The first thing I ate? It wasn't the first thing I ate, it was the first thing I drank. (laughs) I I got home after the game and and had a, a nice bottle of wine, to be honest, one that I've been saving for a while, so... I can't remember what I ate, but I had a bottle of wine. (laughs) Sounds delicious. So as Shelley mentioned at the top, you've written a book. It's called Silk, Football, Family and Respect. You gave us so much uh, throughout your career. What made you want to share more in the form of this book? Yeah, I was originally approached a while ago, to be honest, about doing a book. And I said no three or four times because I was a bit nervous about it, but then eventually came around to the idea of maybe of telling my story, which for me I didn't really think was too interesting at the start. <laughs> I was convinced to do a book and, you know, and told people would enjoy my journey. So, yeah, and then we started from there and I approached Martin Blake to help co-write the book and he's done a wonderful job and it's something that's been probably four or five years in the making. Four or five years? That's amazing. Yeah, it was. Well, weren't too sure how long I was going to go on and play for because I was only on one year contract. So if we just punched out the book four years ago, well, then you would have missed the last you know, the last few years and then what that journey was like and COVID impact, you know, so it was just like an open-ended book and <laughs> which was pretty easy to deal with publishers and they were pretty flexible with, with their dates. Well, it was certainly worth the wait with that career end you had yourself there. So you've had so many moments in your career, Sean. What is the moment that you've smiled about the most since retiring? Well, I'm still on holiday. I don't start work for a few more days, so yeah, I think when I've woken up and I thought I'll go for a run, I've gone for a couple of runs and then I woke up a couple of days and it was raining and I just went back over early. 
So we're talking, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning. And I just went back to bed instead of getting up <laughs> having to run. So that's made it a lot more enjoyable because normally you stress about, if I don't go for a run today, my skin folds, you feel a bit guilty and so on. So, yeah, just basically doing what I'm able to do. So you've been relaxing and enjoying yourself. But what happened during your career that you've had time to reflect on and think, geez, that was, that was pretty awesome? There's a few things. Obviously, the footy grand finals and prelims are always great talking points for fans. But for myself and my wife, Amy, it was more or less moving to Melbourne with two new kids. Kyle was three, Percy was six months, and I knew about five people in Melbourne and creating a life, which was three years turned out to be 12. So I'm quite proud of that, happy with that. But yeah, the footy, that's on a personal level, but on a football level, the, pre- the premierships is, is obviously number one. So what are some words you've played by and lived by that were said to you during your career that you could pass on to others? Oh, yeah, I, I suppose being a footy player, we're quite lucky in what footy is. It gives you through pre-seasons and hard work and then obviously team meetings, bonding sessions, those things that you're able to work on that you don't really get to work on in a normal workplace. I've been able to build on my resilience, professionalism, dedication, hard work, sacrifice. They're just words that you can say plucked out of the air. But when you're, when you're a footy player, they, they mean so much. And that's how you become, I think you build a good team culture around your footy club, both on and off the field through those experiences. So footy's given me a lot more than I've given it. So th- there's a whole heap in that. But to the average person, they probably just seem like plucking words out of the air. But when you're in the inner sanctum and you live and breathe those, you become really appreciative and coming out the other side of it now into the business world, hopefully I can apply some of those things I've learned in, into business. Sean, you've been involved in footy, obviously, for a, for a number of years. What are some of the biggest changes that you saw in footy throughout the course of your career? Yeah, there's been a lot. The game changes every year. Within a year, it changes as well. What are the, the trends of the game? So the truly smart coaches are able to see the trends of the game and change, you know, week by week or every four week if you're doing a four-week block. So probably the biggest two since I've come into the game would be the interchange rotations. Of First of all, they went sky high. Teams were rotating at a phenomenal rate, which meant the game was played at a phenomenal speed and people want to see that. They want to see speed on the game. They want to see high marks. And then the, the rotations have dropped. So We've got, I've lived through both scenarios in my whole career. And then the Clarko introducing the, the zone into, into the footy in a Clarko's cluster, which he brought in one. And that every team has a zone. And I don't think we'll ever see another game of football without a zone, to be honest. Every team implements it. It was great to be a part of a team that Clarko's ideas helped, you know, win us a three-peat. But the zone, you know, changed the game forever. Speaking of changes, Sean, one of the big changes that's happened in your career is the advent of women's footy. Did things change when a women's team came into the club at Hawthorne? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Well, Hawthorne is still in the process of getting a women's team. They will have one by 2023. I think the way, from what I've seen, how Hawthorne have approached the VFLW aspect of it and trying to make that as professional as possible. And the girls have really enjoyed that. A lot of the girls have been drafted out of the Box Hill Hawks. So that's been a really good feeder team for the you know AFLW comps. I have no doubt that if the club attacks AFLW with the same ambitions and the same vigour they've attacked VFLW with, they're going to be very, very successful. And we obviously finish training and we're leaving for the day. And then towards the end of the year, that's when the girls start their pre-season. They're getting ready for their season they come out and train so it's a little bit disjointed with our program so we don't get to see much of each other but watching from afar and the, the work the guys do in and around the club is is definitely going to set them up to be successful when they do come in. Now you've got three subtitles in your book 
Football, Family and Respect. Let's explore the subtitle Respect a little bit more. What does that word mean to you and where do you go with respect in your book? Respect is obviously a huge thing in not only footy players but footy clubs and then obviously growing up as an Indigenous man, respecting your elders and respecting those who've come before you plays a huge part in our culture. In my book, yeah, I'll probably touch on the out of good stuff about Adam not being treated with the respect that he deserved in the later part of his career and how we were too late as an industry to support Adam and then in front of him or beside him. So I'll probably touch on that stuff within my book as well. Now, the Indigenous players talking about Adam Goods, you really look out for each other within the AFL or even when you're at different clubs. Do you think that bond got stronger after what happened with Adam? Um, yeah, well, I've been lucky that the AFL, we, almost every two years they have Indigenous player camps held in different parts of Australia to come together, to connect, to bond, to you know talk about culture, tap into some of the resources that are out for Indigenous players to have longer, meaningful careers. So I've been very, very lucky to be a part of that system. And then on the back of what Adam went through, I think you saw a lot of young younger players take a bit more courage out of the fact that they want to be fighting racism and they want to get their teammates on. And we're seeing a lot more non-Indigenous players help with the fight against racism. But there was a pivotal camp probably in Adelaide where we watched the final quarter where players watched that and there was an acknowledgement amongst everyone that we, we as a group or the group didn't do enough. And you've seen since probably the last probably three or four or five years, players calling out racism a lot more now. And the social media world now is changing forever and laws are slowly catching up with social media. And yeah, you'll see a lot more Indigenous players calling out racism. Sean, can I just ask you off the back of that, is there a relationship between the Indigenous men in AFL and the Indigenous women? Are there opportunities to bring them into the fold and to have conversations with them about the kinds of things they might encounter and to provide support? advice to them? We were definitely on the path of having more connection with the girls or with the women, sorry, I should say. And then COVID hit and then we forced a lot of separation, not only from men, from the women, but also within clubs, you know, the players versus the administration staff upstairs. So it's kind of put a bit of a halt onto it, but there's definitely plans in the future to try to get together and lean upon each other and help the women through the early stages of their career and to see if you can help probably their transition in, their, their transition out and things that we can do to help them. Fabulous. That's fantastic to hear. There's obviously a big push for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander coaches, broadcasters and in the boardrooms of footy clubs. How do we get there, Sean? Yeah, I think the AFL as a whole are trying to do more in this area. They're trying to be more authentic is probably the right word. I think in in years past you can probably look around and see if something was, if clubs were or the league was being tokenistic about the gestures they were making or if they're going to be authentic. And now I think we're getting a lot more buy-in, a lot more authenticity from clubs and the, and the AFL's pushing a lot of good programs out there, coaching pathway programs, footy pathway programs, you know, player pathway programs for Indigenous and multicultural people. They're doing a lot more in clubs, investing in reconciliation action plans, so is the AFL. So they're doing a lot of good out there in and behind the scenes. And I think when you see clubs buy in into what they're doing and having that involved in their culture of their club, you know, Indigenous culture within their club, you'll see more board members. You've just seen Eddie Betts and Neville Jetta become development coaches. So we're, we're coming a long way. And I think the AFL now have put in a you know, mandated that each club needs to have an Indigenous liaison officer, which has been many years in the making, but we're, we're definitely making progress and it's really pleasing to see when you actually do have a, a buy-in from different organisations. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I'm Lauren Rosali and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Family, what do they mean to you? We know that they're a huge part of who you are and how have they gone with the move to Adelaide? We had two kids when we moved to Melbourne and then we had another two. So we had two boys when we moved and then we had two girls. So having four kids throughout the, the second half of my career has been really enjoyable. So I've tried to involve my kids with everything we do, whether it's you know footy training or even after games recovery, the next day at the club, they all jump in the ice baths, we'll have a swim. Generally, there's no one at the club when the hours I go in. So we all go in there, we all jump in the steam room, been involved in grand final parades. So they've been involved in everything else, every single thing we do. To create those memories and share those memories with my wife and children, I've made a point of doing that because I want them to have those memories forever. And we've been lucky enough to capture it on camera and film and we'll keep those forever. And one day they'll tell their kids and they'll tell their grandkids about the experiences and hopefully they can do that with their children as well. I think they're captured in my mind too. I spent most of my time crying and looking at it through tears. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they're definitely burnt into my mind. But how have they gone with the move to Adelaide? Oh, yeah, they've, they've loved it. There's some anxiety at the start. You know, we're, we're in Adelaide now. We had to apply for an exemption. We didn't know if we were going to get accepted or not. We didn't even know if our request would even get looked at. So we waited for a, actually a fair few weeks before we got accepted to do, the, obviously, the 14 days ISO and then discuss about what we do with schooling and sport and all those different things. But they've enjoyed the move back. They're making new friends and their the nervousness about meeting new kids is over and done with. I've got a whole heap of new friends. So we'll all be looking to go back in Melbourne at some stage and catch up with their friends and people we've been lucky enough to form friendships with over the last 12 years at some stage. Yeah, that'll be a special day. But they don't take long to make friends, kids. They're pretty amazing and your kids are pretty great. <laughs> they love a chat, so I'm sure they fit in just nicely. Now, you said you haven't started your new role at Port Adelaide, but tell us what you'll be doing. Don't actually know what my name of my role is, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're still figuring that out. But yeah, I'll be crossing a few different areas. Hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll work out what those areas are. But at the moment, it looks like it'll be a bit of list management working probably under Jason Cripps in that area. Obviously, I'll be the Indigenous Liaison Officer, helping with government corporate relations, and then there'll be just some leadership and mentor stuff in there as well. So there's a lot, but we'll, once we get in there and we'll see how much you know time each thing takes, we'll see what we get down to. To learn under Matthew Richardson and Chris Davies is something that I'm, I'm looking forward to because I want to try something different. Sean, it's been a number of years since you were at Port, Coming back to Port and reconnecting with the club, does it feel like the Port that you remember or is it a very different place? I've only been in once or twice to just to say hello. It seems very different to be honest. I think there's two people there that were working there when I when I was there, two, two admin staff, so everyone else is out and there's a whole new set of people in there and a different playing list, the different club rooms. The culture's a bit different because obviously it changes yearly, the culture of the group and 
I'm very excited to get in and to see where we're going. From the outside, looking in, what I've been presented was going places and they've got some high ambitions and I'm happy to, to join that and just add to the, the great work they're already doing. Sean, one thing that you've been really passionate about throughout your career is tackling racism. We've talked a little bit about that already. What are the things that you think still need to happen within the footy space to to really address racism in sport? Yeah, well, I think footy's got a massive platform with one of the biggest platforms, the number one sport in Australia, to help create social change. Indigenous people are always, or people of colour, are always going to fight against racism. Definitely the, one of the real powers is having non-Indigenous people help take up the fight with racism you know, and calling it out a lot more. And I think when you see some of the, the things across Australia and that create debate, you see more non-Indigenous people calling it out. And, you know, you go to the rallies and the marches, there's more people there, you know, standing side by side with Indigenous people better. So that's where I think the growth is coming from. More people are wanting to know, you know, the history of Australia and can't change it, but you can learn from it. People want to know more about that side of Australia. Yeah, and I think you see more players now becoming vocal in, in this area as well. You also talk about reconciliation in your book. What would you like to see everyday Australians do to make this happen? Yeah, there's there's a lot of things you can do, but to be honest, I'll probably start with small steps for the average Australian. It's easy as just knowing the land you, you walk on, where you are. Generally, when you ask an Indigenous person a question about their culture or you're met with a very warm and positive response, my friends and families enjoy people who are inquisitive and ask about their history, their, where their people are from or their language, enjoy that conversation. It's small steps first, I reckon, just learning to know where the lands you are. I've really noticed that people are really embracing that and that's happening more and more and you're right, just understanding that you stand on this land and where you stand and sharing that with people. Yep. Sean, on that, can I ask you, is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners about your background and your culture? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, well, uh, I'm a Kukutha man, which uh, my dad's from the west coast of South Australia. He was born on a mission. It's called Kunaba. <laughs> yes, Shelley. <laughs> so my dad was born there many, many years ago, I think in 1951, which is about 40 k's northwest of Sejuna. Yeah, we have the Burgoyne Street there. And my mum's from the Warai tribe, which is just south of Darwin. I'm very lucky that I've got two tribes that I connect with. And when I go back home to visit family, whether it be in the north, in south, um, I feel very, very connected. Yeah, so I haven't had a chance, to be honest, to get back over the far west coast for a while because I've been in Melbourne, but I definitely want to get back over there. We both do have this strong connection to the Canoeva Football Club. Both our fathers played there and your grandfather. Do you think you're going to pull on the red and white jumper <laughs> and get out there or maybe the kids might go and play some games there? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I'm getting questions about footy next year. People asking me if I'm playing. Potentially, yeah, I'd like to play a game for Mally Park, who I grew up with and, and lived in yeah. Port Lincoln, play for them. To play for, for Kunaba would maybe be on the cards as well if I get approached and fits in with everything. So I'm not too sure. I haven't had too big of a think about football just yet. I've just said no to playing in Darwin and playing in country footy leagues here so far, but I could very well, Shelley. Oh, well, if you need to, I'll get you hooked up. Don't worry about that. You can go in and play just one game, give them a carnival. They'll love it. See how we go. <laughs> Sean, I wanted to ask you, I um, I recently watched a documentary about Paul McCartney where he was interviewed about his life and his career with the Beatles and it was really sweet because right towards the end of the documentary he said that now that he's older he looks back on his life and realises that he's become a fan of the Beatles and <laughs> that he looks back and he no longer thinks, I used to make music with my mate John. I now look back and think, 
I made music with the John Lennon. And I wonder if you look back on your sporting career and the people that you played with and the games that you were a part of and can look at them and enjoy them as a fan and can admire the people you played with in that same sense? I think over the course of doing my book, I've been able to reflect over my whole journey, even my younger life. And there's a lot of good memories, even the the bad memories to do with football and bring a smile because it's a part of your journey and helps create the person you are now. I've been able to enjoy some of those times, even though at the time they were very painful. But I've also reflected a little bit on, yeah, the players I've played with both at Port Adelaide and Hawthorne, yeah, I've been truly lucky to play with them. But I'm not too sure how long it will take for it to truly sink in to, to see the, the magnitude of what those players have done, like Lance Franklin and and Luke Hodge and Gavin Wanganeen, those guys are, you know, they're all in the Hall of Fame. Lance will probably go down as a legend of the game, you kick a 1,000 goals next year. So time will tell. I'll just adjust to normal life and then to actually see if I actually even watch any footy for a while. Yeah, I've been very lucky to be at two powerful clubs with two iconic coaches as well, Choco and Clarko, so I'm truly lucky. You're very blessed. You have so many fans that loved you and I know they're <laughs> listening today. What's something you'd like to say to them? Yeah, I've been very, very lucky you know, when I was at Port Adelaide, they, they loved me my entire career there. And even when I came across the Hawthorne and they were booing me every time I played against Port Adelaide, you know, the Hawthorne class, I actually appreciated it. And I, I thought it was quite funny, to be honest. So every time we'd play and they'd do that because, yeah, it just probably showed how much they actually missed me. <laughs> and then coming across the Hawthorne, you know, I came across on crutches and the fans accepted me straight away. I, probably, I think they were a bit apprehensive when I first walked through the door on crutches and, you know, we gave up a lot for a player. He's 26, you know, it doesn't go for too long. But they, they didn't say that to me. They clapped me and cheered me the whole way and they welcomed me and my kids and my family. And so, yeah, there's a big thank you to all the fans. And I've never really had too much negativity come my way from opposition fans either. So not that I go out looking for positive or negative, you know, um, responses from the fans, but genuinely they've treated me with a lot of love and respect. Yeah, you've certainly, certainly been loved. So thank you so much for coming. And, of course, where can we buy this wonderful book, Silk? Yeah, I think it's all good bookstores, really. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think you can get it from like Dimmix and Big W and, and most bookstores, to be honest, have got it on their shelves. But yeah, if you yeah, if you want a good birthday present or Christmas present for someone, or I think get out and get it. I'll just say, Sean, as a as a Hawthorne fan, you've given me and my friends and family lots of fabulous memories. The 2013 prelim probably up there is the number one most joyful uh, thing I've ever experienced as a footy fan. So thank you for your contribution (laughs) to the game over so many years. Good luck with your new role at Port Adelaide. They're so lucky to have you and thanks so much for joining us on the fifth quarter of the Outer Sanctum podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I've really enjoyed chatting with you.